so I tried everything. I literally would iterate on the subject line of my bio. I would iterate on the projects that I highlighted. I added every stitch of experience I had in industry as an engineer or as a fractional CTO, which were the roles I was looking for. And nothing. It was literally crickets. And it wasn't until, and I think I remember the day I went to Google Images and typed in white USC grad and just found a picture of like a bro and matched that with my profile. And I literally began to get responses to applications that I applied for previously. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And we are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. And y'all, I am so inspired and motivated and excited about my journey. After attending podcast movement evolutions, it was just so incredible. I got to connect with so many wonderful creators, so many wonderful folks on the business side as well. And so if I met you at the conference, hello, welcome. Thank you for being here. And I do have a few housekeeping notes. So first off, we are still working on the Kickstarter launch for the year anniversary. I will add the link to the show notes when I have it. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for updates on social media. And because the year anniversary of the podcast is coming up, I've decided to add some bonus solo episodes this month discussing my journey thus far. There's been so much that I've learned in one year, and I want to share it with all of you. In addition to the practical tips that I've learned, I really want to dig into the story behind it, obviously, since that's the point of the podcast, (laughs) but share a bit more of my personal story. And... I haven't decided when I'm going to release those episodes, but if you want to stay updated on that, I actually suggest following the podcast on Apple Podcasts because you do get a notification when a new episode is released. That is how my dad stays on track. So pro tip there. All right. I do have another great story this week. And it is another entrepreneurial story to share with you. I had a lovely conversation with Sterling Smith. He is the founder of Black Freelancer, the number one diverse platform for top vetted talent across the globe. Before we get to the conversation, I'll tell you a bit more about Sterling. Sterling Smith is a software engineer turned startup founder based in Austin, Texas. And after working in industry at Walmart, Lockheed Martin, and Booz Allen Hamilton, Sterling founded his first company, LaunchPartner.com. Co. in 2013. And LaunchPartner.co's mission is to help non-technical subject matter experts launch their MVPs. Their philosophy is that if it can't be built within eight weeks, it's probably not an MVP. And for all of my non-technical people out there, the MVP is actually the minimum valuable product when you're putting something out to the market. So I know many of you might know that, but I actually didn't know what that was until my husband started his company. So I was like, what? Most valuable player? Um, 
So that's an MVP, and that is what Sterling's first company does. And his second company is actually Sandbox Commerce, which he founded in 2018. And Sandbox Commerce enables traditional retailers to launch bespoke, rapidly scalable mobile apps quickly via their no-code platform. And he's recently launched his third company, Black Freelancer. The story behind the launch, which Sterling shares in our conversation, is just really a great example of how to turn a pain point into purpose. And the service has already garnered a lot of interest, and I actually just signed up for an account. I think it's such a great idea. Super excited to see where it goes, and I can't wait for you all to hear my conversation with Sterling, so let's get to it. All right, I'm so excited to have Sterling Smith on the podcast today. Please just tell us how you're doing. How's everything going? I'm great. I'm glad it's Friday. It's a little (laughs) cold here in Northwest Arkansas but generally can't complain. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well too. Yeah, it's a Friday. It's a little warmer here in LA and it's sunny. So Okay, (laughs) the opposite here. (laughs) Sorry. Let's just start from the beginning. I want to start from your childhood. So tell me how you grew up. Tell me about your family, your upbringing, and some of the values that your parents instilled in you. And I'd love to see how your childhood personality might be reflected in who you are today. Okay. Yeah. So I was raised in a small town just east of Dallas, directly between Dallas, Texas and Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm Interstate 20, a small town called Tyler, Texas. I was raised one of seven. I'm a twin. I have a twin sister who lives in the Bay Area and four other sisters, as well as a brother. So my parents met in New York City. My father is from the Caribbean. He's from Trinidad and Tobago. My mom's from Brooklyn. Generally speaking, it was a very loving household. Both of my parents were educators. Everyone in the household deeply cared about learning something new and experimenting. And that was really encouraged as a kid. And somehow or another, I was the only one that really took a liking at a young age to computers. So much so that in middle school, I started programming. So I kind of began a love affair with programming after playing video games at school as part of like educational video games. I think there was a game called Mavis Beacon Typing and then Number Crunchers and Pitfall that I kind of really fell in love with. With computers and computer programs, specifically games, so much so that I, was, I began to wonder how they were made and didn't know any computer programmers growing up. It wasn't as cool as it was today or as it is today. Yeah, I think my parents were getting me my first computer. Being one of seven, they sacrificed like they sacrificed for each of their other children. And so shout out to Arthur and Barbara Smith. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like such a interesting and fun upbringing. Just the thought of seven children for me because I have, I'm an only child. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of cousins, but that must have been such a great dynamic. Can you explain to me or paint the picture for how it was to grow up in Tyler, Texas? I only know about Tyler, Texas from TV. <laughs> and I know about it from, what was that show? The Friday Night Lights show. And so I, mm-hmm. I believe it's a big football town. Yeah. And it seems like you've had all of these really interesting, diverse experiences living all over the world. But you came from this small town. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, Tyler, it was a small, relatively small town. I think there were between 50 and 60,000 people. Now it's well over 100,000. Tyler's one of the fastest growing regions in East Texas, for sure. Cities in East Texas. 
and it's also the county seat. Many, I won't even say Southern because I think Chicago, I've heard people say this about Chicago as well, but like many cities that are really diverse. And when I say really diverse, to qualify Tyler and how Tyler is diverse, I would say that the majority of the population is white. Let's call it 38 to 42 percent. And then we've got other 20 percent Hispanic and about 20 to 30 percent black. And like many of these very diverse cities, they're very segregated. And so most people in cities like Tyler, who are pretty evenly divided or relatively speaking, evenly divided, you've got communities, black communities, Hispanic communities, and white communities that they rarely overlap. My experience in Tyler was we lived kind of in a region that was slightly overlapped. It was kind of a little hybrid community. So we had a, a community of friends in Tyler who were white, many of which we went to church with. We had a community of people who were Hispanic. They were in our neighborhood and some of the neighborhoods we lived in. And we had black people who we engaged with who were our peers, and also many of which were kind of from other international communities. So Nigeria and the Caribbean and other places. And so it was a very hybrid upbringing. Our parents were very intentional about exposing us to what life is like kind of from a global perspective, because my mom is from New York and my dad's from Trinidad. But we were certainly in East Texas by, if you can imagine what it'd be like being raised in a Southern Texas town, I would say Tyler is quintessential to what you might see in many small towns that are below the Mason-Dixon with a church on every corner, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I wouldn't have expected that very diverse experience. So that's yes. really cool. Really cool. And I know that you love computers. You said that you love computers growing up. What was your personality like? Were you the really driven kid, the sensitive kid, the emotional kid, the fun kid, the one who got in trouble? What would your mom and your dad say about little Sterling? They would say that I was outgoing. I like to say that I believe that I'm introverted. Typically, at the end of the day, after engaging with people a lot, I'm exhausted. I'm drained. I found that one of the ways that we relate, especially in corporate spaces, and I learned this as a kid, one way you relate with people is by meeting them where they are. And so talking about things that they find interesting, playing games that they find interesting, et cetera. And so since a kid, although I do prefer solitude, I was raised in a house of seven, so I, you had a sink or swim. You had to learn to engage and interact. I would say that I was, a, I was a good kid. I was definitely outgoing. I was very gregarious, but I really enjoy, even then, I really enjoyed solitude. Just never really had a lot of it because I was one of seven. I would say also that my experience with seven siblings makes it made it to where today, e even today, I really, really, really appreciate community. Um, even today, it's really important for me to be around a close group of friends. My family members are still my closest friends. And yeah, so I'd say high, high level, but I was also the annoying one. I was the guy that would walk up behind you and give you a wet willy. Like that was kind of the energy that I brought to our family dynamic. Sterling took his passion for computers, outgoing personality, and commitment to community to build an exciting and interesting career. He started his career at Walmart as a software engineer, and after a year and a half, he moved to Doha, Qatar to work at Lockheed Martin. It was a unique experience, and he said it was one of the best decisions he'd ever made. He went on to work at a large consulting firm based in D.C., and then he got the entrepreneurial bug and decided to start his own consulting firm based in Austin. They were helping non-technical subject matter experts who had an app idea build an MVP. Sterling was then inspired to make another pivot. After doing that for several years, one of my 
mentors says to me, Sterling, you should build your own product. And so after several months of kind of soul searching and doing market research to find out where my skill sets could help solve a problem in the real world, I decided to start my second company, a company called Sandbox Commerce that's still in business today. But Sandbox Commerce is a no-code app builder for retailers. And think about if you have a Shopify store and you want to build a mobile app for it, you can use Sandbox Commerce to drag and drop your way to building a fully native mobile app. Think of like Nike or Lululemon, but you can do that literally in one setting using our technology. Well, it wasn't until after about two or three years in that business where I found that it was incredibly difficult to raise institutional capital from VCs for that business that I learned about the problem that exists. And I'd already known that it was harder based on the statistics that it was harder for black founders and female founders to receive venture funding. But I deeply empathized and deeply felt that pain point. After raising a good amount of angel investment, rather, I learned that in order for us to scale, we needed to really raise venture capital. And after spending about 18 months of trying that, we were unsuccessful. And so I ended up freelancing. I ended up joining a really big freelancing website to get it by any means necessary. I figured I would spend times, nights and weekends contributing to other projects through this freelancing platform to help with payroll and marketing expenses that we were kind of accumulating at Sandbox. Well, it wasn't until about 45 days in to creating my profile on this platform and adding my experience and example projects that I realized that I wouldn't get hired just by putting that information. And so I changed my profile picture to be a white guy and then ended up starting to win projects, first some small projects, and then eventually a project that employed me for over a year and gave me equity in a pre-product company that I started off as a contractor at. And so it's crazy to see. And so, but at that point I realized that there needed to be a space for freelancers of color, women freelancers to find competitive job opportunities with companies that were specifically looking to hire diverse teams and diverse talent. And so I decided to build Black Freelancer and eventually Woman Freelancer. That's spelled W-O-M-X-N, Freelancer, which is still in development right now. So we decided to build Black Freelancer for all of those businesses who swore that they wanted to hire diverse talent and hire Black talent, hire women talent, but they didn't know where to find them. Technical talent, product managers, knowledge workers, and creatives. We wanted to create an easy button for them to find top talent, vetted talent. They could evaluate alongside everyone else and make an informed decision using cutting-edge technology. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much. And I'm so curious about what made you decide to change your profile picture to a white male? What sparked that idea? So I tried everything. I literally would iterate on the subject line of my bio. I would iterate on the projects that I highlighted. I added every stitch of experience I had in industry as an engineer or as a fractional CTO, which were the roles I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And nothing. It was literally crickets. And it wasn't until, and I think I remember the day I went to Google Images and I typed in white USC grad <laughs> and just found a picture of like a bro and matched that with my profile. And I literally began to get responses to applications that I'd applied for previously. This platform specifically has like this ID requirement eventually that an algorithm first, they have an algorithm that once you start winning projects, 
then you get ratings and your ratings go up and then they'll show your project more and it kind of de-risks it anyway over time. And that's kind of the way the platform works. But if you're one of thousands of developers and you don't pattern match, then you're kind of in a sunken place, as they might say. And so, yeah, I just said, hey, look, I've tried everything else and let's see if this works. And of course it did. And and what's crazy is, is throughout my journey, you know, one of the first things that we did before we wrote a lot of code at Black Freelancer was we began to build community. And we built a community by creating a splash page that just talked about, hey, the first ever platform, and it was a Web3, we were really kind of incorporating a piece of like uh, smart contracts to our value proposition earlier on. And we said the first Web3 hiring platform for diverse talent, a lot that's a mouthful. But we created a, a marketing page for people to sign up for early access. And within days, we had hundreds of applicants Within months, we had thousands of applicants, and we ended up having 5,000 or so applicants before we actually started building out the platform. I focused first on building community before doing anything else. And along the way, we created this Discord server, which we have around 2,500 people who are in Discord, really Black freelancers in Discord Mm. who are talking and supporting each other and bringing new opportunities to each other. And along the way, I've heard several people who've joined our Discord server who have experienced similar issues who frankly mentioned that they don't get any, the click-through rate on their profiles is very low and they're wondering why. And and so we're really focused on building a community where the freelancers in this case are the first-class citizens and companies sign up and apply for access to be able to view and engage with top talent who just happens to be diverse all over the world. Yeah. Wow. I just love that story. I love that idea. And I love how you framed it. First class citizens where the freelancers get to be the center of attention and people are coming to them as opposed to the flip side. And then you basically solve for that issue, which is great. How did that make you feel when you started to get the feedback and started to get the jobs once you changed your profile? Were you surprised? What was your reaction to that? It was a damn shame, frankly. I said, we have to do this much. And I recently said to someone else that even the highest office, diverse professionals have to credentialize. We have to show receipts of who we are, where we came from, what we've done. I gave an example of Obama with calling out that he was the president of the Harvard Review, Mm -hmm. the editor. He also went to Harvard and was, if not the youngest editor out of Illinois and all these things before people would, he could begin to have a conversation with his audience. And so I think around the country and around the world, I think to some extent we all experience that as people of color who are entering spaces where we don't necessarily pattern match. I've been in interviews well before that as an early computer scientist where they said, hey, meet me at Outback Steakhouse. And uh, of course I show up early, I sit down, I'm in in the waiting area and folks walk in and they're looking, they do a 360 looking in every direction and, and don't look at me. I'm dressed in dress of the nines and ready for a conversation about an opportunity. This is earlier in my career. And I remember that distinctly. I was like, man, they just don't think that we, we don't pattern match effectively. It was a shock, but it was also, unfortunately, a very familiar feeling. And so I initially was kind of like disappointed. And then I was excited because I was like, there's a big opportunity here. There's a big opportunity to create a solution that solves a real problem that countless people are having. And I was like, I'd like to be a part of the change that I want to see here. And so 
started off as uh, very frustrating and then very exciting and then quickly began to align with people who either experienced that or empathized with experiences like that. Can you tell me about the lessons learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far? Some of the things that really stick out? Yes. I think some things that stick out to me from my entrepreneurial journey is that one of the most important traits that we bring as diverse founders, as black founders, from my perspective, is perseverance. And it's not something that you know you have in you until you are faced with challenges that seem larger than life and you still push through. Most founders who are coming from diverse backgrounds like mine don't have broad communities of folks who can write friends and family investments. When you're in the ideation phase, the earliest phases of the company, and you're trying to take a, a new concept from idea to reality, and you're not an engineer, which fortunately I am, you typically start by having to go to your community and raise, call it upwards of $100,000 to build something that you can show to other people before you even begin to think about making money. And so one of the things I learned early on is that I didn't have the luxury of completely quitting or being fully unemployed and focusing on my business until well after I built the initial product and we had early customers. And once I felt like we had some momentum, then I was like, okay, I can ease back on the other consulting work I'm doing and then really begin to focus on that. And that's whenever you really hit your stride. But so many of my peers who were business majors or were specialized in product management, but don't know how to build their own software really can empathize with what I'm saying, because one of the biggest challenges is financing your new venture. And to some extent, I experienced that. And I'll say that that built in me perseverance. And I really had to become very comfortable with the reality that you can't take your foot off the pedal. You have to continue to make sure that your your bases are covered. A couple of months ago, I heard a stat from a senior executive at Google who I think her salary was $15 million a year in income with obviously option grants, et cetera, as far as her salary is concerned. And she mentioned that she still is concerned about making sure that if she were to lose her job, what does she have lined up next? And perhaps feels most comfortable having one or two paying jobs at a time. And I'd say even today, based on my experience as an entrepreneur, that having a side hustle is a form of self-love. One sleeps at night when they know that all their eggs aren't in one basket because in this day and time, companies, even the most stable companies are laying off people. And oftentimes, you know, you've heard that when America gets a cold, Black America gets the flu. And I think that doesn't exclude the workforce and employment. And so these are some things that I feel like I've learned along the way. Perseverance is key. And ensuring that whenever you face hardship, you don't give up, you continue to push forward and you find new ways to innovate and to make it to the next level. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And for someone like you who has found a lot of success and you're very ambitious, have you had challenges balancing that with your personal life? Do you have a personal life? <laughs> yes. Yes. I certainly have a personal life. I am very, I'm intentional about where I spend my time. To the best of my ability, I really try to focus my time and energy on tasks that will pay dividends in the future, whether that's 
from a personal relationship standpoint with my close group of friends and family members, whether that is from a professional relationship where I invest in startups and other startups, where I invest my time and energy in building products that can change the world in my faith, right? And so where I spend time kind of reading the Bible and really thinking about the way that I treat people and the impact that I leave on society, generally speaking. Right now, I feel like I've got a lot of energy. I've got a lot of curiosity. And I look at the time that I spend on the things that I'm involved in to be investments. This is not harvesting season just yet. This is a season in which I'm very comfortable with putting in a lot of work to hopefully eventually be able to sit back later in life and appreciate the time that I spent working on the things that I've worked on. And so I do have very close relationships and I do guard those relationships and invest in those relationships and cherish those relationships with my fiance, with my family members, and then friends who are like family. I don't really even throw the friend word around a lot. If you're a friend, you're pretty close to being family just because I feel like less is more when it comes to deep relationships. Yeah, I love that. And I love what you said about planting season. There's different seasons in life. And like, you know, this is a time where you're putting your head down. I think that's great. And what advice do you have for people who are going down a more non-traditional path? That could be someone who has that side hustle, who's an entrepreneur, someone who's a freelancer. What advice do you have for those? Just to kind of double click on the comment that I just shared with you about investing that time and being very intentional about where you invest that time. I remember in my late teens, early 20s, when I would study a new concept in computer science or I was trying to independently learn a new software development language, I'd actually look for it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like to to have a good time. I like to live with my friends and go to, back in the day, it was like pasture parties or it was like concerts or other things, Mm -hmm. but I would be very intentional and I was very conscious about it as a younger man to spend time at coffee shops, studying new concepts on YouTube, learning from the countless of hours of experts that are building and explaining complex algorithms and programming languages and independently learning. And really like being intentional about, okay, I understand it at this layer. Let me go one layer deeper. And I would do that on weekends, on Friday nights, on Saturday nights, and then hours on Sundays after church coming up. And then my friends would be like, hey, you coming out to this event? And I, I remember being very intentional and being like, I know that right now, this time that I'm spending learning this thing will pay dividends in the future while everyone else is chilling. And so I used to really feel good about investing that time. And I still do that today. And so advice that I would give to other folks who are taking non-traditional paths is that if you are committing your life to a career and to make the world a better place, hopefully those two are aligned, your career and like your North Star. If you're committing your life to build a career and be good at your job and contribute to society and make an impact, my hope is that you're not only doing it using the traditional path and following the same steps that everyone else does to learn what you're taught using the conventional wisdom that's been shared on the beaten path. My hope is that you're going on a less beaten path as well. You're focusing time and energy to actually like feed your passion 
by reading books and by looking at videos and by meeting with people and having deep conversations around the concepts that are important to you to be successful in and eventually develop a subject matter expertise in. Um, I think that's really what makes things interesting is like the people that take the, the same approach, you can't really expect them to create something really innovative. I think it really takes deep thought, a lot of time and perseverance to to really achieve extraordinary success in life. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And because you have this computer science background and that trajectory initially, it feels like you're going on a traditional path. And I know that you had that pivot to entrepreneurship, but what was it inside of you that made you want to do this exploring on the weekends to take the unbeaten path, as you said? What inspired that? Now, not everybody does that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think there's something inside of me. And I think that I would be surprised if not everyone else on this planet had the same feeling somewhere inside of them, that there's only so much time. And in order for you to maximize the time that you have on this planet, you truly need to dedicate yourself to a thing. And what that meant to me, I felt like computer science and, and, and really kind of learning how to code and building software provided a unique opportunity to, to impact billions of people. There is an opportunity that if you build something that that is so innovative, that solves problems that many people can relate with, then you may not ever even know the impact of, of that solution that you build, right? Kind of just looking for an A. I think one thing I'm really into documentaries and history and nonfiction, and I, at one point, watched a documentary about the Beatles. Mm. Random, I know. <laughs> but I watched a documentary about the Beatles. And someone talked about how you've heard you need 10,000 hours in order to be an expert in something. I, I learned that before they ever crossed the pond in the British invasion that everyone knows about when the Beatles came to America, before they did that, they spent years in dive bars in Germany performing together, learning how to sync together, and really like perfecting their craft. And I think so many people that we look up to and we admire spend so much time in the lab perfecting their craft and really, really iterating. And I think that's something that I can deeply empathize with. I feel like in order to, to really make an impact, you really have to understand and have to have a, a hunger rather to understand how things work at their most fundamental core and then build on that over time. And so for me, it's computer science. For you, it's law and also connecting deeply with people via your podcast, which it's impressive to see. But like, I think finding that passion, the earlier you can find out what that passion is, in my experience, the better. If you can find it in middle school, heck yeah. If it doesn't come until after college, the sooner the better. And then once you find it, stay on top of it. That's all I can share. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. Yeah. No, that's a lot of helpful advice. And I love that perspective, your vision for your life, finding passion. And I'm just curious, what are your wildest dreams? What do you want to accomplish with your life? Yeah, it's crazy. Like I never felt comfortable speaking that out loud mm. because people who know me would say and th that I get obsessive once I say it. And so I, I don't ever really talk about it. Which sounds kind of weird. It's a weird answer. No. But I do have like extraordinary goals. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, right? Yeah. Stay tuned. I, mean, but I, I really, like right now, I spend most of my time investing and learning about the business of investing in startups during my nine to five. I'm very fascinated with the why behind 
these institutions saying yes and no to ideas? And how do I deeply understand that? How do I use that understanding to help affect change in our community? The high level goal is like, how do we use technology and use this unique time that we're living in to level the playing field for people? And when I say level the playing field, I don't mean bring anyone down. I mean, lift everyone up and provide opportunities for people all over the world that perhaps wouldn't have opportunities if we didn't exist. And so that's kind of where my my dreams abide. But they iterate. Like I learn new things and I'm like, oh man, that would be really cool to to explore. And so who knows what that answer will be um, in in three to five years. I love that. Love that. Stay tuned, everyone. And <laughs> <laughs> Do you have business insights? Like, do you have business tips that you would want to share with people? Yeah, I mentioned previously, this is a biased perspective, but I believe that having a side hustle is a form of self-love. I believe that we as enterprising individuals who are building careers and various stages of our careers, we should look at how we, at the time and energy we have and, and ask ourselves, are we spending our time, the majority of our time at work? working on things that we're passionate about. And if the answer is yes, then double down on that and or dedicate your time to mentorship and or monetizing that passion that you have outside of your nine to five. If the answer is no, no, I'm not passionate about what I'm working on nine to five, then you should continue and don't quit your job tomorrow, but you should supplement that nine to five tomorrow with the things that you find joy in, things that that you find are passionate about. Because you might just find that in the not too distant future, you are living a more enriched life that allows for you to, of course, make money pursuing that passion on the side. And eventually that could be your full-time job, but you're also feeding your spirit. Because oftentimes these things that we truly love, you do for free and they don't feel like work. So when you compare them and the time that you spend on them alongside the things that you're not really passionate about, but you're doing for work, the ROI is so much greater because you would do it for free. And so that's one tip that I would leave any listeners with is find a little side hustle that you're passionate about and cultivate that. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Huge fan of the side hustle. This is my side hustle podcast. So (laughs) yeah. I just love to know if you have any final thoughts that you'd love to leave with the listeners. My name is Sterling Smith. I'm building Black Freelancer and soon to be Woman Freelancer. That's WMXNFreelancer.com. If you've listened to something that has inspired you to love yourself more by pursuing a side hustle, then I encourage you to go visit one of those websites, blackfreelancer.com or womanfreelancer.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And ultimately, build your profile. It's akin to building like a MySpace or Facebook profile or LinkedIn profile, rather, where you can, you'll highlight any experience you have, talk about the type of work you're looking for. And within days, companies will start to reach out to you and see if you guys can work together. And so my ask is that you would consider doing that and also support us and just keep us in your prayers and really help share what we're working on at Black Freelancer and WomanFreelancer.com. More to come. But thank you so much. Ashley, for having me on the podcast today. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we will have all of that information in the show notes, everyone. So don't worry. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Sterling. You dropped so many gems, so I'm feeling inspired. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.